I did get to be on Dr. Phil one time, and I actually two times, and it was on this issue of transgender children. And so I'm the one that had to tell mama bears who were facilitating the transition of their children that they weren't doing the right thing. And you don't want to tell mamas um, that they're not doing right by their babies. But actually, Dr. Phil had me on to do the dirty work because he really agreed with me. And he had made the point, and this was really interesting, and it was a, a, a part of my sermon um, and we're going to take questions um, in, in just a minute. But this is very important because um, parents and school administrators and even pastors and things like that where there's groups of people gathered around, we think, well, we have to cater to these young kids that born like a boy, born like a girl, but they're transing to the other gender. Now, research, the best secular research tells us that these children who suffer from gender dysphoria, who, you know, have a hard time understanding their own gender, um, that anywhere from 85 to 99% of them will what the scholars call desist by the time they reach puberty, which means they will not persist in their, I'm bodily a boy, but I'm actually a little girl. By the time puberty hits, they will have kind of straightened out and gone along with the natural rhythm of who they are. And so these very good clinicians, there's a, a Dutch center um, in the Netherlands, which is really one of the best clinics to help young kids like this. There's another one in Canada. Neither of those say to help facilitate this change in children. They say parents and clinicians are helping, who are helping this change by, you know, yes, okay, dress like a little girl. Let's change your room. Let's talk to your teacher. And now, you know, you're going to, um, Charles is going to become Cindy. They say, do not do this for these young children. Why? Because the research is very clear that it is nearly guaranteed that at a point in their older life before puberty, they're going to revert. And the clinicians will say, if you've already kind of supported them and moved them along and my room has changed and they call me this at school and I'm using the different bathroom, you have created momentum that when they start to turn around, like, okay, what am I really? Because my parents, my teachers, everybody around me has sort of played along with this. So maybe I'll just keep, you know, I'll pretend that I'm this, not, you know, it's, it's creating confusion for these children. And the problem is it has become so politicized that it's, you know, it's not, it's not serving our children well. Um, this is a great question. What about someone who is a Christian and feels that their same-sex relationship is God's will? That's a great, great question. And what we need to understand is when, when I encourage people to think about the homosexuality issue, 
the same-sex issue is that can become very confusing, very emotional. So I like to think about this. Um, think about it in terms of trading out same-sex for cohabitation. What about someone who is a Christian and feels that their cohabitational relationship is God's will? What that does is, first of all, it diffuses it. You know, so you don't have the emotional and the confusing stuff about homosexuality, but it's the, the, the cohabitational. Is it God's will for us to be living as husband and wife, but without being married? No. God set it up for Adam and Eve. He says, I created them male and female. God blesses them and he calls them to go forth and multiply. The first thing that God does with Adam and Eve is perform their wedding. Okay? And then he says, come together as husband and wife. Bring forth new human beings, new image bearers. And then subdue the earth and grow crops and watch over the birds and watch over the animals and do all these things. God's law is very clear about that. So, no, you cannot be a Christian and say, well, cohabitation is no big deal. Now, go back to the homosexual issue and say, no, you can't say you're a Christian and say, well, my um, attraction to the same sex is just fine with God. Find me anywhere in Scripture where God says that that's fine. Well, many people will say, well, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Nowhere. And in a sense, yes, that's right. But he never said anything about stiffing your waitress on her check when you're at the restaurant. But there are things that we can take from Scripture that would seem to indicate that, no, that is not a good Christian ideal. But Jesus is very clear on the issue, not that he spoke on homosexuality, but the issue of sexuality itself. So I will ask other people who say that, no, God is fine with homosexuality, don't get into, well, the scripture says this, doesn't say this about homosexuality. Just, I always, and, and you can fight that, you can argue it, you can convince, but I just like to go, completely around it's funny we went to the north shore yesterday and you've got that little bypass right around the north shore you know take that little bypass and ask this question if you think homosexuality is just fine with god tell me the sexual ethic that jesus taught and what's important about that is you have taken that bypass around all the little talking bumper sticker points that we deal with in this issue. And you go straight to the issue itself. What is it that Jesus taught about homosexuality? Well, Jesus said, just love one another. Like, well, yeah, he did, but, you know, no. Never in church history have we assumed that that means we just get to love the one you're with, right? So the answer to that is, no, there is no room in the Christian life for any sexual relationship outside of a married man and woman. 
you know, we wish there were. We wish that we could, that God could make room for all of our individual sins, our sexual sins, but no, he doesn't. It is only, and that's the sexual ethic that Jesus taught. In Matthew 19 and in Mark 10, he says, don't you remember from the beginning that God made the male and female and the man leaves his mother and father and cleaves to his wife? He's t- that's the sexual union. He gives no credence, no allowance for any other sexual union than that. So, Christian who says God is fine with your homosexuality or your practice, um, no, not. Let me add this. Is same-sex sexual attraction a sin? No, it is not. Just like my, I notice, my daughter's here, we close her ears. I notice that other women are women. And I notice that they're attractive. Okay, that is an impure um, desire if I, if I, Think about it, act on it. But that, that attraction, if you will, is just there in my humanness. I've got to bring that under submission and say, Christ, I want to live obediently to you in the midst of that. That's the same with the same-sex person, same-sex attracted person. And there are hundreds, thousands of those individuals in the church today who are living obediently with their same-sex attraction, just like there are obedient single people. So that's very important. My niece is married to her wife. When they come to my house, I feel a little strange putting them in the same bedroom. What's the right thing to do? Yeah, God is giving me the, the questions here. That's why I'm looking up. I, I address that in the uh, Loving My LGBT Neighbor book. And I am very definitive about this. When they come to your house, as a Christian or not, when anybody comes to your house, the rules of your house are your rules. Bottom line, my daughter, you are welcome at our house. And if you're fine with this for you individually, your partner, she is welcome at our house. She's important to you, therefore she's important to us. But, just like the last question, we cannot allow for you to be in the same bedroom together in our house because that is contrary to what we believe. We want her at our Thanksgiving table. We want her around our Christmas tree. We want her at our family celebration because she's important to you. But we just simply cannot go along with that. Okay? Here's what it comes down to. Well, why are you rejecting me? We're not rejecting you. Didn't you just hear us? We want you to come. Well, you won't let us be together in the marriage that we are. We disagree with what marriage is about, okay? You know, when it, my sister, 
is, she lives in California. She is a hard, hard, hardcore vegan, okay? I can't go into her house and stay, take out her cutting board. Terry, I know you don't like meat, but I have a fantastic recipe for ribs. And then just plunk these ribs down on her cutting board. You know, it's, it's dishonoring to her. Well, why can't she accept me as the meat eater that I am, right? That when we go to people's houses, there are rules. And that your house, your rules. When you go to their house, it's their rules. She may say, well, when you and dad come to our house, I don't want you sleeping together. You know what? God bless you. If that's what you want, fine. I mean, you know, play along with the game. But let them know these are your convictions. And that you cannot compromise your... Well, the state says we're married. Cool with the state. We're not the state, you know. And we should, as adults, be able to work those kinds of things out. And not have to compromise our own household sort of convictions. You know what that's called? That's called just... Good manners, right? And so that's, that's the thing there. Honor the people, welcome them, bring them in. If you're a Christian family and you cannot have her partner come into the house, I think that's wrong. There may be extenuating circumstances for that, but you know what? That's your daughter. This is important to, to her. Um, try to open your house, for that individual who does bear the image of God. You don't have to buy into the relationship. You're going to stand for truth on the relationship, but try to receive them. And also to show that, yes, I feel this way, but when she comes into the door, I'm going to hug her. I'm going to be glad that she's there because we have to be able to live in that tension between loving the person and standing for truth. And this question gets to exactly that. And it's not easy. It's not always clean. But that's how life is. And so again, think back to what do we do in terms of grace toward the person and truth toward the issue. And if you keep those two things in your mind, that will, that will help guide you through these things. Is being gay a sin... Is it a sin to be gay? That's a very complex question. Because because gay is not a thing. Okay? Gay is a political identity. That's very important. You have same-sex attracted. You know, that's just the straight... I have an attraction to members of the same sex. Sometimes. Most of the time. All the time. That's different kinds of same-sex attraction. Now, if I have it just a little bit like some people do, that doesn't make me homosexual. If it is my primary orientation, I don't have attraction to anybody of the opposite sex, my full attraction is to people of the same sex, then homosexuality is is more of my orientation or my identity, okay? But then gay is a political identity. 
It basically, I like to say it this way. You can own a gun. I'm a gun owner. I'm a gun person. I'm a member of the NRA. And then being gay is like a lifetime member of the NRA. I'm in. I've got the bumper stickers on my car. I'm down for the cause. I go to all the rallies and, and things like that. So we need to know that, that, you know, the nice lesbian couple next door, Yes, they are gay, but they wouldn't see themselves as gay. You know what? We're Brenda and Judy, the people next door who live together. You know, we, we don't want to get caught up in everything. So that's, that's important to understand. So is being gay a sin? That goes back to the other question. Is being same-sex attracted a sin? And there are those in the Christian community who, who disagree on this, but is me noticing other women who are not my wife, is that a sin? It's a part of my fallen nature, but it's what I do with that. Jesus says, he who looks upon a woman with lust sins, okay? It's what I do with that look. And bringing that look under the obedience of Christ. So is being same-sex attracted a sin? No. It is a fallen sexuality, just like my fallen sexuality. But it's what they do with that. It's what any of us do with our sexuality that determines whether it's a sin or not. Should I confront my friends who are either gay or bi about God's plan for sexuality? What if it hurts my relationship? Should I confront my friends who are either gay or bi about, their, about God's plan for sexuality? That is a great question. And the answer is no. One, and there's two parts of this question, but one is, who are you? You know? But once the relationship develops... You know, we, we don't do that with other things. Like, what is your name? Ray? Randy, okay. Randy, I'm friends with him, and Randy drinks beer, or he smokes. Like, Randy, I want to be your friend, but got to talk to you about something first. You know? We, we don't do that. It's like, you know, Randy may have a drug problem or something. It's like... How about if I develop the relationship with Randy, get to know Randy, let him know I'm in his life, I'm committed to him, and we'll talk about that other thing later, once we have the relationship, once I have earned the right to speak into his life and him to speak into my life, so that if I do bring it up, he knows like, you know what, this is a friend speaking into my life, right? That's, that matters. That's important. So, no, you shouldn't. But later on, as the relationship develops itself and as, you know, it comes along and that seems natural, and maybe he'll ask you, tell me what you as a Christian believe about me. You know what? Tell him. Um, be, be very clear about that. But no, that will bring itself up later. And, you know, you're not the police you don't have to let everybody know about, you know, what their sins are. Those people are called obnoxious, you know. 
and you don't want to be you don't want to be that person. Um, should I use my transgender friend's birth name or their identity name when talking to them? What about in reference to their gender? Okay, that first question. Very, very good question. Should you, how should you refer to your transgender friend? There are disagreements on this. And first of all, we need to understand that. One can be right, the other can be right, and they both can be right. Okay, and that's not being relativistic. For me, again, going back to my thing about the person and the truth, okay? Here's, here's how I handle it, and this will be different. When I am dealing with the person, Randy, okay, Randy was a lovely woman um, once upon, but she identifies now as Randy. Um, I, and I'm friends with Randy. I would call Randy, Randy. Because that is the understanding of the person that I'm dealing with. Okay? And I don't mean to be flip about this. I really don't. But if Randy believed he were um, Paul Bunyan, not John Bunyan, Paul, you know, I would call you Paul. It's like he's different. He's got some stuff going on. I don't have to talk to him every time we meet. But if he thinks he's Paul and he wants to be Paul, I'm going to call you Paul, you know. But if I am other people, like if I'm writing about them from a distance and kind of clinically, Randy, you know, or I'll call you, you know, refer to you who you are. That's the truth part of things. Um, so you deal realistically with the facts on the ground. Randy was born a woman. Randy is a woman, but Randy believes he's Randy. Interacting with Randy, I'm going to connect with him where he is at. Because one, if I'm going to have a relationship, I don't want to have to say, um, Randy, who used to be Brandy, but is actually really Brandy, you know, you just, to facilitate the relationship, you just deal with it that way. But if I'm speaking or if I'm your doctor, you know, I mean, that's, that's more of an objective clinical sort of thing. But now, on the other hand, if you don't feel that freedom as a Christian, I understand that completely as well. But I would ask you to think about the nature of the relationship with the person, the one-to-one, face-to-face kind of thing, because that matters. It is complex, um, but that's, that's important stuff. Um, what about in reference to their gender, this pronoun thing? Same thing. I would, I, I'm going over to Randy's house to ride his motorcycle. You know, I would, I would play along with that as well. But in terms of when, when the culture and at school, when they're saying, you know, you have to use these pronouns, you know what? No, I'm not playing the game. I'm not playing along with the illusion, right, in the general. But when it comes to the person, you know, and able to connect, you know what? I'll do that. Based on the relationship. If it's somebody that I don't have a relationship for, 
or if they're even like just an angry activist. You know what? No, I don't have the relationship with you, and I'm not going to play your game, and you're not going to force me, and it's fine for me not to play along with your game or your illusion in that way. So a lot of it has to depend on just the friendship and the person um, you know, that you're relating to. What do you believe are the underlying causes of homosexuality? We do not know. We just do not know. It's different things for different people. One of the things we have to understand is there is not a thing just called homosexuality. Lesbianism is a completely different animal than male homosexuality. Get this. I just wrote a piece on this recently. Good, good secular research tells us that pregnancy rates among lesbian women are significantly higher than heterosexual women. And their abortion rates are about two times higher. Okay? That causes confusion. How in the world? That's my point. What we think is lesbianism is really more of an identity. The lifelong female lesbian is very, very rare. Usually women are changing lanes pretty regularly there. Female sexuality is much more fluid. So we can't think that, well, there's just this thing called homosexuality. No, it's different for men than it is for women. Um, but we just don't know. Sometimes it's developmental within the family. I have a very dear friend who's a leading clinician, and he says it's always the nature of a hard, harsh relationship with the father and a tight, clingy relationship with the mother. That can be the case a lot of times, but in my experience, I just not have found that to be true. It really comes back to we are very complex individuals. And our sexuality, that's another thing about the male and female part. God creates the male and female. The first thing that he has them to do as male, God imagers as male and female is to engage sexually. Our sexuality is mysteriously a part of God's nature within us. It's very complex. So why do some heterosexuals have these weird hang-ups sexually? We don't know. Why do some same-sex people have these different things? We just don't know. We're very complex individuals that way. But I'll end it with this is they're just... Absolutely, even the gay thinkers on the other side know if they're honest. No, science has not proven that there is this such thing as the gay individual. Um, there are people with sexual desires of lots of different ways. And that's really what that comes down to. Another question. Dr. Tony Campola believes in homosexuality. On what basis does he believe this? Um, typically, I mean, I don't know what basis he does. But let me, let me broaden that and say there are many Christian leaders, some of them that are just wacky liberal, but then some who are a little bit more reasonable and tied into orthodoxy 
who have bought into the idea that homosexuality is just fine. Let me tell you absolutely what is at hand there, and I don't know any um, exclusion to this rule, that, that Christian leaders who say actually homosexuality is just fine, they will have a child that has come out, they have a close family member that has come out, and none of them, none of them that I have seen say, I arrived at this position by looking at the scriptures. There is no Christian scholar who has said, okay, I've just done this study and I came upon this just intellectually. There is typically, and, and again, as human beings, we can understand this. This is my child. This is my family member. I want to identify with them. It's not right, but we can understand it there, you know. But it is very, very important that, I mean, the church has never believed this before. It is not part of our theological history. And again, there is no theologian. Well, the other is child, family member, or they are gay themselves. It is usually there's some reason to justify or um, rationalize this thing so that I don't have to reject my children um, in, in that way. And again, look at any scholar writing in the Christian market and publishing books. One of those three things, gay themselves, have a child, or very close family member as that motivation um, there. So any, any other questions? Churches that have been, it's, it's what has been called, and I, I hate it, what has been called in the Christian community is welcoming and affirming. As if at this church or any other church, there's somebody at the door, you know, just like at TSA, shaking people down. Excuse me, um, we have a survey that you need to fill out before you can come in here. Do you happen to be gay? You know, sorry. And then affirming, you know, like, no, we affirm everybody, but we don't affirm everything about everybody. I mean, it's, it's that language, it's kind of what bothered me, you know, many years ago about are you seeker-sensitive? No, we are a seeker-hostile church. You know, like, it's just, right, it, it, it forces you into, are you welcoming and affirming? No, we are hostile and unaffirming, you know. No, we love everybody that comes through our door, and we want them to be everything that God has called them to be. That's what we're about, you know. So just this false understanding. But the other thing is you look at denominations that have said, okay, we're going to start embracing homosexuality and becoming liberalized. People are running for the doors of those churches, Nobody is brought to Christianity light. Nobody seeks out Christianity light. In fact, and this is the nerd part, is I've been studying 
gay individuals, gay identified individuals, and I, I like to say gay identified because again, there's, there's no such thing as a homosexual person. There's a same-sex attracted person, homosexual, homosexually identified person, but their church attendance. And there are secular scholars who have studied this who are actually very pro-gay, but they find that gay individuals, gay individual, I want to start going to church, they go to what these guys would call non-welcoming and non-affirming churches. They are not likely to go to the welcoming and affirming liberal churches. Why is that? These two scholars that looked at that, their minds are just shocked because they know that those are the bigoted, hateful churches. That's the phrases that they use. And they ask, why would gay people go to these churches? Why would gay people go to those churches? Guess what? Because they are welcoming and affirming in the healthy right way. You know what? I go to this church. Those, they don't agree with my sexuality, but they love me. They care for me. I'm part of this group. You know, And that's the whole thing is these things are more complex than welcoming and affirming or not welcoming and affirming. People want to go where the word of God is taught. And where the word of God is taught, people are loved on. They're cared for. And it really has to do with where the word of God is taught. People know that we are all sinners. You know what? I am no messed up than you are, you know, Mr. Gay or Lesbian Man. I'm a mess. You're a mess. Let's be a mess together and let's see what God's going to do with us. I love that. I can, you know, that's, that's the thing there. And so we just have to be faithful to what God has called us to. I mean, I just don't know. This is another, another thing. That I'll hear Christians saying, well, the Christian church has a lot to apologize to gay people on. I think we have a lot to apologize on, but I don't see it on that issue. I'm critical of the church. I can be. But I really see most churches doing a wonderful job on this issue because we love people who come to us and the church is largely doing that and the churches that aren't doing this well it's not so much their faith it's just that those people are just obnoxious you know I mean just you know to be real clear about that two two things as I see it is one can't we just be with it and hip you know we we don't want to be ugly we don't want to be unfashionable well, tell me when the church has ever been concerned about, you know, being unfashionable. No, the church has to be the church. The other is them confusing that standing for truth means we have to reject the individual. Okay? What I just said about same-sex identified people coming to church, they're coming to the churches that Tony Campola would say are nasty and ugly. Okay? Tony, I think they're not going there because they're stupid, you know. They're going there because they're finding a home. And we don't have to change the teaching of the word of God in order to let people feel welcome. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, it's essentially they're running by their own emotions. And they're running by how they wish Christianity was. 
as opposed to how it really is. But here's the question again that I would love to ask Tony Campolo. And there's a number of... Um, Stanley Hauerwas is a guy who just recently changed his mind on this. Brilliant theologians, but when you ask them, well, I just think we should love. You know, like, okay, that's just such a... I mean, kids talk about, you know, that kind of... The answer is, Mr. Hauerwas, Mr. Campolo, any of you other, tell me what Jesus' sexual ethic was. That's the answer. And again, that's that bypass, because nobody has presented the question to them that way. They haven't thought about it. Amazingly, right? I mean, that would be the central question. Not so much what does Jesus say about homosexuality, because they can kick up all this dust. But just go to the question, what is Jesus' sexual ethic? But see, that is the thing. They kick up this dust about... You know, and you're like, okay, I know what Romans 1 says, but he seems to have more information, and you, know, you don't know how to answer. But again, do the bypass, and just, okay, all that, whatever. What is it that Jesus taught about sexuality, right? Um, in that, and it's just simple, you know. I mean, anybody can ask that, and it is, it is the question um, that needs to be asked. Yes, ma'am. Invited to a wedding. Yes. That is like the naming thing. Um, there is not a right answer. And for people who say there absolutely is a right answer, I would say I would respect whatever your answer is. But the church has never been here before. I mean, it's not like, well, how do they deal with that in the Corinthian church? I mean, we have never been here before humanly. So my thing goes back to the relationship with the person and the truth of the thing itself. As I like to say, and I write about this in the LGBT book, um, if it's at work and it's Frank from accounting and you don't know him real well, you know what, don't mess with it. If it's your child, that's a whole different issue and a whole different evaluation system, right? Um, and then it's the nature of that relationship with the child. Um, I say in there for my answer, I could never go to a same-sex wedding that was held in a church or under the auspices of Christianity because that's taking something that's absolute and saying this is okay. Now, if, or even a Jewish, you know, because Christianity is Jewish roots, but if it's like Buddhist and this is one of my best friends at work, and I don't want to honor their marriage, but I want, to, I want to say you matter to me. And this is a big day for you. You know how I feel about this. You know, for me, we've debated this issue for 20 years on college campuses. You know, I'm not giving, but you matter to me. So I'm going to come and celebrate this with you. There are Christians that would absolutely disagree with me on that. I respect that. I honor that. The only way I would go to a wedding would be is not anything to do with Christianity, but the person would have to be very, very special to me. And to make that clear, like, I'm coming for you. I'm coming as a, as a grace to you. And that will be very powerful in that person's life. The other is, 
if it's a child, your child. There was a great, wonderful old gentleman at Focus, and he came and asked me, and he is just like rock-solid square on these issues, very conservative, and he was very, very torn. And actually, I advised him not to, but he decided, you know what? I'm going to go walk my daughter down the aisle. Okay, rock-solid guy. You know, he's not trying to bend the rules, twist things. But like, you know what? That's you and your daughter. I know your convictions. I know your commitment to Christ. You've thought about this. I can't, I mean, you know, good for you. Good, you know, that that was your decision. So it's very messy. It's just messy stuff. And there's really not black and white answers, but there's black and white principles that, you know, that we can, can go by. The other problem, though, would be, okay, if you're going to come to my wedding, then you're going to do this, this, and this. Uh-uh. If I'm going to come to your wedding, I'm coming as a guest. I have to come under my terms, right? If you're going to try to dictate what I do, you know, then you're acting like you don't want me to act. You know, and sometimes you just have, you know what, God bless you. I hope your wedding's great, but no, I can't be a part of it. That's the same thing of the couple coming over and staying in the guest room together, you know. And that's the other struggle is, can we not develop a relationship and honor one another based on the things that divide us? Can't we just treat each other as loving people and try to, you know, what can we compromise, but what can we honor the other person and what they can't compromise? Again, the thing is the relationship. Try to work through the relationship, not compromising on the truth itself. But I think those are important because we as Christians sometimes, you know, there's the right answer. It's in the back of the book. What is it? Um... If you have a strong conviction, then I've got to honor that conviction. We've got to honor. But, you know, there are some principles to, to kind of move through that, and that's a good, good question. Yes, sir. Well, and, and that's the thing is, is, you know, my conviction having looked at it like, dude, you're just wrong, you know. And that's the question is, show me. Because the American Psychological Association, go look up their fact sheet online. They are gay-friendly. But they're honest enough to go, there's just not any research to show. So that's the thing is, show me, show me something from a professional medical organization or a published study that tells us definitively. Um, it's interesting, in the 80s and 90s, the gay scholars were looking furiously for the gay gene. They never did find it, and they have given up. I mean, those studies are not coming out anymore. And so that's the thing. There are gay scholars who will say, your doctor friend is crazy. It doesn't exist. It's not like we think one thing in the gay... There are people in the gay community who are like, no. And what if it did exist? You know, it doesn't change kind of what we are, who we are, how I understand myself to be. But that's the big thing is to definitively say, you know what, if you think it's a solved question, then you don't know what you're talking about. But ask them. Ask them for the data. Ask them. And not a quote from somebody, you know, the, the, the data itself um, in, in that way. Okay. 
we'll let you go. I will stay after um, if you have any personal questions as well, and we'll get out of here at 11. So, Just uh, bow for prayer. Lord, we want to be your people. Uh, we want to be led by your Holy Spirit to see people as you see them, to love them as you love them, and to speak uh, truth in love as we have relationship with one another, humbly realizing we are sinners saved by grace, called to be your ambassadors in this world. Thank you for uh, Dr. Stanton, for his family, for his ministry, and the ministry focused on the family and Hawaii Family Forum here in the islands. Thank you, we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you so much, Glenn. All right, God bless you all.